live from Edge City. Actually, it's supposed to be delayed live from Edge City, but since we're in Philadelphia, Mississippi, I don't know if that makes a big difference. Here we are with David Hallowell. David, a guy came in and you told all your stories about being an artist in Mississippi. So now that leaves us with your having to find a new narrative for your life. Yeah. You were born in, in Philadelphia, right? That's right. Born and raised. So I'm sure you have many harrowing tales to tell about being an artist in Mississippi. Luckily, you'll still be here and alive, yeah. Really? <laughs> uh, well, artist, artistry runs in your family, right? It practically gallops, yes. You know, everybody's an artist or an architect or a... An actor, an musician, actor. yeah. We're all, we've all been blessed with I think we have a lot of talent, but... Uh, <clears throat> Sometimes it doesn't manifest itself and, and do the uh, paycheck. Well, that's all. Uh, otherwise, yeah, That's often the case with artists that they have to find a way to keep going until they find some way to keep going with the art. So what, how have you been able to do that? Well, I'm working uh, as, a, you know, as a straight painter. I do a lot of... Uh, well, I'm working on a house right now, painting a house, an old house in the country. But I was trained in New York City as a, a faux painter, doing faux finishes, and uh, didn't know what the term meant uh, when I got the job, but uh, the people I work with were all uh, artists and musicians and comics and writers, and it was the best working experience I ever had when I lived there, working with these people. But you wanted to be a stand-up comic, I understand. No, actually I wanted to write comedy. Oh. Uh, stand-up, I knew it was going to be a hard gig. And uh, when I was in New York, <coughs> I just turned 30, and uh, at that time, I thought, I still feel this way, that 30 was, was, was pretty old for a stand-up. There were a few that were really good at it, but, you know, uh, Rodney Dangerfield, but Rodney had been at it <coughs> since, since his 20s, and he only made it big once, once he hit his 50s. I didn't have the patience <laughs> for that. I knew it wasn't going to work, you know. Uh, it's a long time to wait. Yeah, and the other thing was, uh, uh, you know, somebody like Jerry Seinfeld, who was my age at that time, he'd also been doing it for 10 years. So I was way behind the curve trying to catch up with these people. And I, and I honestly felt that there were other people who were doing, you know, the material they were doing was the same sort of stuff I would have been doing anyway, and I thought they did it better. Right. Well, given your facility with painting, I'm surprised. Were you doing any painting out there? I know you were doing the fall. Uh, no, you know, I wasn't. I, when I went to uh, <clears throat> I went to art school in Memphis one year, <clears throat> me and my brother-in-law, Lanny, we were roommates, and at the Art Academy in Memphis. And I had another cousin who had gone to the Art Academy. He was really good. Uh, I thought that was the best thing that ever happened to me, that, that, to be validated finally I'm at the Art Academy. Mm-hmm. But man, <clears throat> the teachers up there were so bitter. Well, wow. the students, because they weren't in New York City showing their stuff. Oh. They were in Memphis teaching snot-nosed kids how to draw. And they hated it. And you could tell they hated it. And it was that and, and, and the workload they gave us uh, to have to be creative every single day, put out product every single day. It just wore down. And by the end of the school year, I didn't care if I passed or failed or whatever. 
I didn't pick up a pencil for five years after that first year of Articating. I didn't go back. Wow. It, it completely drove the <laughs> creativity out of me. I didn't want to do that. So I turned toward uh, uh, writing, which my first love was uh, was comedy. So that's that's where I was mainly focused. So when I went to New York, I was I was dead set on getting a comedy writing job. However, in the apartment that we lived in, we had a, a great living room and a lot of open space. And one of my roommates at the time had a book on Disney. And I was flipping through the book one day, and I came across this great photo of Pinocchio. It was right when he was fixing to change into a donkey. And he's talking mm-hmm. to one of the donkey yeah. boys. Yeah, 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 I remember that. And he's, got, he's already got the donkey ears. I thought, man, that looked great in here. <laughs> so I painted that on the wall in our apartment in New York. And that's really the only art I did while I was up there. But I love that, I love that painting. I wish I could have taken it with me, of course, it was painted on the wall. Did you take any pictures of it? Uh, my brother Mark has one somewhere, but I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. But so, how's your? What made you finally decided to leave New York? Uh, it's a combination of things. It always is. Uh, practicality. I, I ran out of spaces to live. Uh, I realize now that if I if I'd have stayed in my uh, last apartment on the Lower East Side, I was in Alphabet City. I, Avenue C, right, 9th Street. I lived in a uh, a storefront Puerto Rican candy store <laughs> with metal grates over the glass, and the sidewalk was right was right there, and we could see the drug deals going down right through our windows. It was uh you know me ten feet from me was a drug deal mm-hmm. going on, but we got a letter. That said we were going to be evicted because there were gentrification was taking over. They were going to make something else out of this apartment. They needed more sophisticated drug dealers. Yeah, yeah, but I realize now that the eviction laws in New York, it's hard to kick people out of a place. I could have stayed there probably for a year, mm-hmm. you know, because it had been so hard to take the tour oh, yeah. and then to kick me out. I didn't know that. It scared the hell out of me. I thought, well, they want me out. You know, I'm scared. Bruno's going to show up at the door, break my legs, my arms, or whatever. I Stay out of here. No, don't come back, okay? <laughs> Get back to Mississippi where you belong, kid. So, so I got out, and, and once I left, I was scrambling trying to find places to live all over the city. I had friends who were leaving for Europe on tours or whatever. Mm. I stayed at their place for six weeks, or I stayed at somebody else's place for a month. And that got old, and I did that for about a year. And that, and there was a recession going on at the time about that time too thank you Reagan mm-hmm. and our work dried up so I wasn't getting any work either so that and some other things personal things uh, and the city itself takes a toll up on you after a while you just right. it, it burns you out I mean you it's it's a hard city to live in unless you're making a, a comfortable living and when you're not it's just a hard city to live in mm-hmm so I left and came back and was going to do uh, four finishes here in Mississippi. Uh, <clears throat> I don't know if I ever told you my story. And, uh, <clears throat> I got I got offered one piece to write while I was in New York. <clears throat> I never I didn't tell you the story. A magazine article or uh, yeah, uh, you know the magazine Penthouse Forum. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do know. My that. roommate's best friend worked for Penthouse Four. His name is Eric, Eric Nadler. And Eric knew I was trying to get something published. And this roommate had left. He, he, he moved to Japan to teach English, of all things. But anyway, this was the, my second year there. And Eric called me on the phone one day. He says, uh, hey, I got a job. I might I think, you, I think you might want to do this. I said, yeah, yes. It's a writing job. I said, yeah, yeah. So he had me come to his office. And I went to the penthouse office. <clears throat> and the penthouse offices are great. You ride the elevator up. The elevator opens up. And there's a picture of Bob Guccione <laughs> sitting in a chair, and on his lap is a naked woman with her ass hanging over. And he's got his hands on her hand. And that's what you see when, you, when you're greeted. Welcome to Penthouse. Yeah, welcome, welcome Penthouse. <clears throat> anyway, he was showing me the, uh, the magazine itself. It's a small magazine. It's all the letters from readers. And, mm-hmm. and it had all kind of crazy sexual... Supposed then, letters yeah. from readers. Now he showed me the files. He oh, said, really? Yeah, I got to look at them. Wow. And he, said, yeah, yeah. he said, yeah, everybody thinks they're fake. No, they're real. Here they are. Anyway, he said... Uh, well, come on, we're going to go to eat, and I'll, I'll tell you what this deal is. So he took me out to a pretty good restaurant. <clears throat> um, wouldn't have to be too too much better than what I was eating now to you know, <laughs> be impressed. So he said, uh, we got this guy living on the Lower East Side who's teaching male nude dance exercise classes. <laughs> we need a guy to take those classes and write about it. I said, uh, so... The guys teach a male nude dance exercise classes. They're all male. Yeah, they're all nude. Yeah. <laughs> we need somebody to go in there, <clears throat> take the classes, and write about it, tell us what's going on. Is it legit, or is it a blowjob factory? <laughs> I said, he said, are you interested? I said, yeah, what does it pay? He says, it pays $600. Said, yeah, okay. It's like a 1,500-word uh, article. I said, well, uh, you know, I'm trying to break in the, in, 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 into the comedy right gear. This is going to be on a, you know, a comedy slant. He said, yeah, it ought to be. <laughs> he said, you know, what else could it not be? You know, it had to be. <clears throat> so I got the address and everything. So first night I went down there, and this was like Lower East Side. is spooky, 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 dark. Mm. Buildings are, you know, oppressive. <clears throat> Everything's tight. And go to the address, walk in, it's this dark lobby. And there was this big guy, huge guy, dirty T-shirt, wife beater T-shirt, the whole bit. <clears throat> Straight out of Central Casting, you know. <laughs> oh, man, that's going to be bad. Bad, bad, bad. <laughs> so I'm looking for Robert Young. Upstairs. <laughs> okay. So I go upstairs, and the stairs are creaky, you know, and making all kind of noise. So I go upstairs, <clears throat> knock on the door, and I hear a guy on the other side of the door. Yeah, come on in. Just take your clothes off and get on into the dance studio. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's what I'll do. So he was on the phone. I couldn't see him. So I get in there, and I walk in. And it's like this. There's a huge dance studio with mirrors on the wall, dance bar, the whole bit. And I'm the first one there. So <laughs> I started taking my clothes off. I took all my clothes off. I, you know, put them in a little area. 
He sit on the floor and you wait for everybody. You hope somebody else. You don't know if you want somebody to show up or not show up. You know? <laughs> right. You got to write something. You know, if nobody shows up, you're in trouble. If somebody shows up, man, you're in trouble. Maybe in trouble. Right? Yeah. So soon enough, people start coming in, and by, by the time he gets off the phone, there's about 20, 25 of us in there. Different sizes, everybody. I mean, everybody. Different ages, sizes, length, skirt, everything. Uh, some are really good-looking guys, and some were like the guy that met me downstairs, you know. Big Russian guys. So Robert Young comes out. Robert Young had to be the most beautiful human being I'd ever seen. Just like a, a Greek god. He was cut. And... Strawberry blonde hair. It looked like wind was blowing through it the whole time he was talking. <clears throat> and he was legit. So he had us doing exercises first. You know, jumping jacks and all this other stuff. So we're jumping around, flopping around. <laughs> I can see it now. Yeah. But the great thing is, of course, I don't know any of these people. Right. They don't know me. So that's why it was so easy to be naked around all right. these guys. I don't give a shit. So... We start doing that, and then we start doing different uh, uh, routines, and he has his pair up, so ah, everybody has a partner. The thought clickings. <laughs> <laughs> so my guy's like a 60-year-old, you know, uh, Russian ham sandwich, <laughs> and, you know, his nuts are hanging down his knees, you know, and he's just, that's the kind of guy you want, you know, the first guy you want to dance with, naked, <laughs> this guy. But that's my partner. Robert, Robert had us skipping and running and jumping and twirling and all these little cute dance out mm-hmm. layouts, you know. But he worked us to death. We worked it for about three hours and did that. And afterward, uh, man, I got my clothes on. I split. So I go back. I call Eric the next day. He won't know all about it. So I told him. I said. Uh, so it's not a blowjob factor. He said, well, as far as I can tell, it's not. So he said, okay. I said, can I, can I be finished now? And he said, no, nah, you need to go one more time just to make sure. It could be, the, you know, the first night, you know, could be the setup. And then later on, it could be the real thing. The real thing. All right. So the next week I go, it's right before Thanksgiving. So I go there. So because it's, it's close to Thanksgiving, not a lot of people were there. Ends up being about seven or eight of us, which in a lot of ways makes it worse because more intimate. Yeah, <laughs> we get more hands-on uh, instructions. And when I uh, when I go in there, there's two guys that were already uh, they were getting ready, and uh, one of them was, they were talking, and one of them was saying. Uh, hey, Jimmy, I saw you the other night at the show. You were great. You were fantastic. You who do you like doing the best? Who's, who's, who's the person you like doing the best? I thought, man, doing the best. I mean, <laughs> he'd have to think. Jimmy said, well, I guess Liza. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course, Liza. I thought, oh, hey, he's a impersonator. Right. Liza Manelli. So we had those kind of people in there, too. So this last night, same thing, same routine, exercise, all that, paired up. Felt like I got the same guy. It's a different guy, but it's been the same. It's been his brother. Big fat Russian. Nuts to his knees. Go through about three hours sweating. So after it's over, 
Uh, Robert goes back and brings back a big bottle of champagne, some glasses, because it's close to the holidays. He wants everybody to have a drink, you know, relax. I sit around and talk, I guess. <laughs> I'm already getting my clothes on. <laughs> but everybody else isn't. And uh, I noticed the, uh, the guy that I was dancing with across the way looking at me like I, I looked at girls, you know, when I was in a bar. I was yeah. trying to get, you know, close to them. Right. Trying to get laid. Yeah. <laughs> well, he was trying to get laid, <laughs> I guess, right? And I was looking around like, what are you looking at? <laughs> that was me. Yeah, <laughs> of course. <laughs> so I got dressed as quick as I could because he came over and wanted to share a drink with me. I killed my drink. <laughs> I got out of there. Anyway, later I went back, about a week later, I went back and interviewed Robert and asked him a lot of, you know, questions everybody wanted to know, like, why did that be naked doing this? Why can't we just, you know? And his answer was, well, you know, so I was taught uh, in the uh, original Greek form. The Greeks, you know, uh, wrestled in the yeah. nude and everything. They seemed all, all clothing. Right. Uh, they thought, you know, it made you closer to yourself without clothes. So, completely legit. You know, he was, couldn't have been nicer. <clears throat> Sweet guy. So, I thought, well, okay, it makes sense. You know, people, you know, might be interested in this. So, mm-hmm. I wrote the article and I call it uh, The Naked and I Wish I Were Dead. <laughs> and, I gave it to Eric. Eric loved it. But his editor, his editor, didn't like it. Because as it turned out, it wasn't a blowjob factory. That's what he wanted. Right. right. That makes a better story. <laughs> before than this. So they didn't do it. They didn't, they didn't print it. They got, half, they got paid for half. And that's my... So that was your one gig. That's on my publishing gig in New York. Mm. Let's take a break for a second. So we might want to split the tape here and... Come back. So hold on. We'll be right back. Okay, that was quick. (laughs) Just give Jim a chance to break it in half if he wants to. So uh, so when did you get back into painting then after this somewhat traumatic episode? Well, after I got back from Mississippi, I started, you know, doing my faux painting or whatever and just painting in general. And I'd done a few experimental paintings on my own. and I didn't, you know, they had, I had them at my mother's house. I, you know, I wasn't mm-hmm. presenting them anywhere and didn't, didn't think much about them myself. But my mom liked one of them a lot. And close to one of my birthdays, she had entered the painting at the Bi-State show Meridian without me knowing. And the Bi-State, usually uh, you can enter three pieces. I only had one painting. And she entered it. And he got accepted. First time out. And she she gave that to me as my birthday gift. She said, you have been accepted to be in a bi-state show in Meridian. Well, my mother made a lot of the bi-state show. They were, you know, at one time, uh, and it still is, there was, it was a big deal to have your, your painting in mm-hmm. the bi-state sure. show in Meridian. Yeah. Artists from Alabama and Mississippi. A lot of uh, abstract expressionists in that area. Uh, that, was their, that was their show. Anyway. Mm-hmm. So it was a big deal to get a painting in the show. And the uh, the judge that year was uh, Hugh Williams. He was a friend of mom's, taught at Auburn, and he liked my mother's stuff. <clears throat> and maybe that's why I got picked, I don't know. But anyway, he liked my painting. In fact, I won an award. Mm. Uh, 100 bucks as an honorable mention, which was a big, you know. Yeah. Wow. 
At that what time, my mother this? and I didn't want an award at the Bass State, and I got, I got one the first time I get in. When would this have been? What year? It was 92, maybe, something mm-hmm. like that. <clears throat> it was an abstract piece, but uh, actually a painting on top of another campus. Mm-hmm. And I used a, uh, uh, a spray gun that I had. Because uh, I like the pattern it, it made anyway, uh, and I sold the painting later on. I, I would sell that painting, and that that got me thinking. Well, maybe I'm, maybe I am an artist. I don't know. So I started painting, and I would paint uh, primarily uh, subject matter that I was interested in. And at that time, um, most of it had to do with UFOs. Something like that. Or cats. I did a lot of cats. UFOs and cats. Mm. <laughs> so they had cats. And I, all my cat paintings were uh, were big because I thought they should have portraits like people. Mm-hmm. Nothing cute. Just, you know, here they are. This is, Majestic animals yeah, that they this, are. This is what Scoob looks like. This is what Bob looks like. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, I still have some of those. So... And I would do that the Bi-State show every year. And every year, just about every year, I would get something in. And one year I got that big one in. <clears throat> got an award for that one as well. And that one's called a loving, right? Is that the one you yeah. painted? Yeah. Could you describe I purposely that? tried to paint something uh, scary. I wanted, I wanted a scary painting. I, I, I noticed uh, there was a lot of subject matter like that that nobody ever approached. Uh, Sort of in the in the UFO genre, the and I don't want to say horror, but just uh, esoteric or, or whatever. That's a pretty good word, by the way. I like that word. Uh, and nobody so, really approached those subjects. Well, so what do you think that is? The giggle factor? They they used to call it about UFO studies. <clears throat> they call it the giggle factor. That yeah. people mention that you, you get an automatic response. Right. Yeah. I mean, but I. Uh, so what, what got you interested in that in the first place? Because, you know, as you, as uh, some people know I have an interest in that. Yeah, also. well, I, I read uh, Whitley Strieber's book, Communion. And I had seen the, the book forever in the bookstores, uh, even in New York. And I didn't buy it in New York, and I don't know why. Probably because I didn't have the money. But the cover just intrigued me because it was the color of a big almond eye creature mm-hmm. with a grays. Although the cover of yeah, the creature is not gray. Mm-hmm. It's really <laughs> yellow, as she's recall. Yeah, it was... It, it's, Iconic to me is a, right. a beautiful painting, but uh, that that subject, you know. And then I read the book because it says on the on the cover a true story. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, really. Read the book, just fell in love with it. it. Just it scared the shit out of me for one thing. Me likewise. And reading in the middle of the night about one thirty, yeah. <laughs> a helicopter appeared overhead. <laughs> oh my God, I'm in this book. <laughs> so I thought. All of a sudden, you know, another world just opened up. I thought, yeah, it is. There is something else going on here. I, I've always suspected that, you know. Here's a guy who's been there, you know, trying to explain it. And what was great about Willie's book was he didn't understand what was going on, and nobody gives him a straight answer. Right. Uh, and there's a wonderful scene in that book. <clears throat> when the book comes out, uh, his editor, uh, they have it in certain bookstores, and his editor goes to one of the bookstores to check on sales to see how it's going. And when he's in the store, he knows that there's these two, he calls them people, they're short. They got hooks over their heads. They're leaping through the book. 
at a mile a minute, like they're speed reading. Mm-hmm. And he can hear, he can sort of hear them, and they're saying things like, "Oh, he got this wrong," and they're, "Oh, he's close, but he's not. No, that's not it. You know, he's not." <laughs> and he was intrigued by this, and he was going to ask them. He walked up to ask them, you know, how they liked the book. And as he's walking up to them, he said, "I got this feeling." As if when you you walk up into a, a rabid dog, you just know not to go any further. And said there was nothing there holding me back, but I I was scared to take another step toward these guys. Said I was mm-hmm. never been so frightened in all my life. He said I was about five feet away from these guys, and that was as close as I was going to get to them. And then he backs off. They quickly leave, turn the corner. He goes out the store, follows them. And they've gone. They've disappeared. He said they could not have gone, you know, on Skywalk Street, New York City. Disappeared that fast, but they did. That story stuck with me for a long time. I thought that, you know, it's one thing for Whitney to say this, but for another guy mm-hmm. to witness the strangeness that he was mm-hmm. being uh, subjected to sort of validated the whole thing. And I thought, you know, that's... It is creepy. So that formed your subject matter for a while? Still, or still does, I guess. Yeah, I, right? I, I, I went to a couple of UFO conferences uh, and met Whitley a couple of times, actually. Once down in the Gulf Breeze. First time I saw him was in Tampa. And uh, I think his third book had come out by then. But, uh, I, I, and I told Mark, my brother, this. That when I when I first met Whitley, he seemed to me the most, the saddest man I'd ever seen, I'd ever met. Hmm. He had this sadness about him that seemed to permeate that he knew that there was something else beyond this this world, right. this realm. But he couldn't make people understand it, and he couldn't he couldn't explain it. And, and but yeah, he was he was giving it a try. He was making an effort to show everybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, telling what he knew, and of course he still didn't have the answers. And to this day, I don't know if he still, you know, has come any closer to what it is. Uh, he always called them visitors, which I like. Right. Uh, and I think, in the end, I think in the long run, he, he probably thinks they're more in, interdimensional than extraterrestrial. So, uh, and I've heard that from several other, sure. you know, experts as well. But so, you did, know, you, did you read other books? Yeah, I've read. <laughs> I read everybody. Yeah. Uh, Bud Hawkins. I love Bud. He was an artist also, yeah. by the way. <clears throat> and I met Bud. But, um, and that's the other thing about the UFO world that I, I, I became interested in, too, is that there seems to be, there's probably more schisms than than the, I, I realized at the time, but there is one one vast schism that w- was pretty obvious right away. There's either the, the side that says, yeah, this is scary as hell, but in the end it's going to be good for us. And there's a side that, yeah, this is scary as hell, and no, this is not going to be good for us. <laughs> Whitley Strieber was on the side of, yeah, this is scary, it's going to be good. And Bud Hopkins was, no, this is not going to be right. good for us. And those two never uh, reconciled their, their opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bud went to his grave thinking, uh, you know, at some point we're going to be taken over or mailed into this this other class, whoever, whoever they are, by uh, Whitley sticks to his guns and says, no, it's just like us uh, taking a child to the doctor who doesn't understand why he's getting a shot. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be good for him. And he cries, and you know, it's painful. 
this is what we're going to have to go through to get to the other side to become to evolve in other words so you talk with people about this very often or do you, do you get uh, uh, sort of around here yeah <laughs> uh, my friends in general don't uh, share my interest in this uh, some of my family members do but not not a lot of friends uh, because I find it interesting that when I was a kid also living in Mississippi I read uh, Donald Kehoe and uh, communion was to come later but uh and was very influenced in some ways which I don't even know probably how to explain or talk about you know yeah so do you have any interest early on well I just uh, yeah I, you know of course I've always loved science fiction and all that and I loved uh, Marvel comics you know mm-hmm. from the art point of view and the story point of view mm-hmm. and I you know, just always gravitated toward that uh, I just always felt there was something else going on I hope to God there was something else going on besides what, what was here <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, but also, you know, and talking about this to people who don't aren't used to talking about this, they don't like to hear it. They don't mm-hmm. want to, you know, they 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 are set in their belief system, and it's to not, hear something disrupt that is is disruptive. They don't very want uncomfortable, that. right? Whether yeah, it's very uncomfortable, they don't, whether they don't it's like true or that. not, they don't want to. They don't want to engage in any kind of conversation about it. Right, at all, right, really. right. Uh, it's the same reason I, I uh, when I was in college. I purposely set out to, to learn about religion. I was always scared of religion because I didn't understand it. And I decided to take it head on. And I, I met, minored in the, uh, the archaeology of religion, religious studies. Uh, where did the religions come from? Why is it like this? Why do we believe this? You know, what is you know, Why is the Bible like it is? What's so special about this and this in the Bible? So it's very, very interesting. I'm very interested in religion as well. Uh, See, do you think ufology or UFO is a religious movement? Because obviously for some people it has been. You think of Heaven's Gate or uh, a lot of other contactee movements in the past where people were waiting for the Space Brothers and Sisters to come and release us, which is a messianic sort of cult, like Judeo-Christian. No, I don't don't necessarily... uh, Adhere to all that. I mean, because I, 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 you know, I still to this day, I, I still don't know what's going on, but I know something else, and I don't think it's uh, uh, the, the Christian religion is not, you know, what people think it is, and I don't think the uh, Jewish religion is what everybody thinks it is. And I don't think the uh, Islamic religion is what mm-hmm. everybody. It, it's right. been they've all been corrupted over the years into something else, yeah. and what they, you know, than what they started out to be. And that's interesting to me that, uh, that it's gotten that way. And when we say today, you know, that, that's basically what the world fights over. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I believe you know, what I believe is right, what you believe is wrong. Mm-hmm. No meeting in the middle or anywhere else, <laughs> yeah. really. And no explanation as to why, except you know, because it says so. Mm-hmm. So that I mean, <clears throat> the fact that we have uh, weapons now that can wipe out the world is frightening. If if Somebody who doesn't like our belief decides, well, you know, well, I'll show you. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm, I'm so dedicated to my religion, you know, I'm going to take yours out. Right. You know, never mind, it's going to take out everybody else as well. But, so, so that's interesting to me. So do you, do you find that 
there's enough fodder there for your artistic work or thinking about it. I mean, because the pieces, even uh, Reverend Ray here, which is a beautiful piece, has another worldly sort of, uh, I mean, it's, yeah. it's kind of spooky and goofy at the same time, <laughs> you know. Well, he was based on Greg uh, Hillen. That's why he had a white man. He hides behind his uh, whiteness. Uh, but he's really uh, evil underneath. Mm-hmm. He's, uh, he's a howling monster underneath. Uh, and then what's the other smaller painting next to it? You use that on your Facebook page. That's Judge. Yeah, uh, that one, I like, I like the idea of mask. Uh, and Picasso liked that too. I always liked that. Uh, and actually, uh, <laughs> a lot of people don't realize this, the Judge... <coughs> It's wearing a mask. We don't actually know what his face looks mm-hmm. like underneath that. Right. That right. is, that's just a mask he's wearing. Right. He can be something completely different than what's, what he's wearing. What he's wearing looks pretty damn scary as, as it is. Mm-hmm. But I like, I like the fact, yeah, I like, I love the colors and everything else. Mm-hmm. But I thought uh, it'd be interesting for a uh, a creature to wear a mask. Why, why does it have to be a human? Right. You know, right. Does have a creature wear a mask? Because we don't Not know his identity. And the one next to it is sort of like a Medusa type art. Uh, yeah, it's Lady, uh, Lady Fitzhugh. And, and that sort of has a, th- uh, a theme about what is, what is beauty? What is, what is pretty? Why, why do we associate different uh, body types with, you know, uh, you know, if I say this is pretty, then it is. Mm-hmm. Even though it's a creature who's, you know, obviously a... Uh, Covered in snakes, <laughs> but the snakes are pretty, and she's pretty, and mm-hmm. uh, that, that's sort of the idea behind that. And then the one, the, the magnum opus here, the uh, eleven, I guess it's called, right? Yeah, the, that the one, smaller one in, in front to the side of that one with small. Yeah, that, those are drawings that I did uh, while I was working on another job on the coast, and uh, from a sketch pad, I was sketching one night. And after I finished sketching, I, I, I would turn the drawing different ways, and I could see different shapes and, and figures in there. So I cut them out. They're only two inches by one inch. And as I put them, laid them out, to me, I started seeing faces. Again, I saw masks, people with masks or faces. And I uh, associate them, uh, uh, I like the word gin. From the uh, old Arabic genie, mm-hmm. uh, uh, like a shapeshifter. Mm-hmm. Right. That to me is what they are. And so the eleven. Eleven is, is my my attempt to make a, a scary painting, something uh, that would that would shock. It would people couldn't just walk by and say, "Well, that's you know that's kind of interesting." You have to have an you have to have an opinion about that. Mm-hmm. And. So Most people uh, don't really like it because it is kind of, mm-hmm. you know, it's just kind of hard to look at. Uh, you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily want to hang that in your house. Is that based on 9/11 at all? Well, it's interesting you said that, Robert, because uh, that whole thing was going on while I was painting this painting. Oh, interesting. But uh, that's not what I wanted to base it on. Uh, but I was born on on 11. Eleven has a the number itself has, a, has mystical connotations. Uh, please don't ask me to know what they are because I can't remember. <laughs> but I just know they are. Well, every, as... every number does. Right. But uh, and I like I like that 
the Grateful Dead have a song uh, called the Eleventh, and it's it's in eleven time. One, mm. two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. It comes after uh, Saint Stephen. Mm. So anyway, I, I, I just thought that was a nice title. I thought anything else I put on there is going to be pretentious. So, you know. Well, all of your stuff is impressive. I really have enjoyed being in the show. But speaking of music, let's go to shift to that for me because you play the drums. I played with That's you right. and uh, Lanny. That's right. Quite a bit. And your style reminds me of. Do you, you see your style as having changed over the years? Because it's kind of like a polyrhythmic Elvin Jones kind of style, oh, wow. which is, I think, is really. I can be prepared for that. That'd be great. No, I'm. I, you know, I, I'm very modest about my drum skills. I know I know what I can and what I can't do. Uh, if I can keep a great beat, I'm I'm, I'm happy with that. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm not really fast. I, I don't do a lot of frills. Uh, but I, I was influenced by uh, there, there are certain drummers and they're very they play very simple. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always liked the Neil Young's drummers. They were always very simple. But there were also uh, drummers that. Like Billy Cobham, which I could not, you know, even come close to, that I love. Very powerful. Yeah, very powerful, and did completely opposite of what I would do, or could do. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I like, uh, I like, I like both the Grateful Dead drummers. Uh, I like the idea of two drummers. Right. Uh, That's a great idea about uh, music, especially music that has uh, an improvised type quality to it, a jazz quality to it, uh, is that. The closer you get to your what is inside you, the better you are. Yeah, right. You know, whereas the closer you get to somebody else, repeating may be great for working in a studio situation, but yeah. to be a great player, I don't think that's yeah. in the cards. Yeah, I uh, I try to uh, I try to keep it real simple, and then I, I'll, I'll add to that. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not going to wow you with anything. You know, mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I just don't have the skill to do it. I uh, never did. Uh, Lanny, Lanny's really good. Uh, my, my nephew, Casey, is, is tremendous. I love to watch him play. I love to watch a great drummer. I love to watch Buddy. I used to love watching Bu- Buddy Rich on Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Anytime he was on, I would stay up to watch him. Mm-hmm. Uh, so did you play drums when you were in New York at all? <laughs> yeah, I did. I played, uh, my brother had a band, Better Than Death, and his drummer... Uh, Quit or went somewhere else. Anyway, they, they needed a drummer, and uh, Mark asked me if I wanted to play. I said, "Yeah, sure, I want to do anything." <laughs> Most of the time, in New York, you're not doing anything. <laughs> <laughs> you're waiting. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, they, and they had a drum set there, you know, which is great. I didn't have to buy anything, you know, grab anything, you know, haul anything around. Yeah, it was yeah. right there yeah. at Michael Lytle's place. And so yeah, I played with them, and it turns out they had a gig coming up at CBGB's. And uh, so I got to play at CBGB's, which Great. is, you know, how cool is that? Yeah. <laughs> Who gets to do that anymore? It wasn't, well, nobody now, because it's yeah. the thing down. So that was, that was a treat, to play there and knowing the history of that place. Uh, it wasn't a long set, and uh, there wasn't a lot of people there, but, you know, still, we were still there. Still a treat, right, so, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Great. Well, let's see. I guess we're getting close to the end of uh, our sojourn. Have you got any other <laughs> things you want to admonish us with or leave us with or uh, tell us gosh. about or curse at us for? Or? 
and I'm, I'm very appreciative that you're around to do this, and I'm, oh, I'm glad, so glad we have a gallery now in Philadelphia that. Let's uh, hope we can stick around. Yeah, yeah. Uh, That's always the problem. It's, it's, it's kind of easy. Well, it's not easy getting it started either, but it's easier getting it started than to keep it going. Yeah. You know, in a way. Everybody's excited when it's coming on. Right. You know, it gets to be a little bit of a slog at some point. Say, oh, how are we going to do this? And get yourself shoes, too. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I, I need to become a roofer again or whatever, you know. Well, okay. Hey, dance, new dance exercise classes here. Hey, that's... I like that idea. Sloan may not like it too. Well, she might like it. May Depends like on <laughs> who comes in. I got some. I got some guys who could probably put some moves on. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, great. Hopefully this turned out. And uh, if not, we'll do it again. All right. We did it one time. Well, that's different stories next time. Yeah. Okay. Great, David. Talk to you later. Thanks, Robert.